Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Centers podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Chat and Chai, Yoga Talks from Miami Life Center. So I hope you've been enjoying these talks on the eight limbs. Uh, today, we're going to get into Pratyahara, which is the fifth limb. So we're about halfway through. Uh, but before I did, before we do, though, I wanted to introduce our speaker today. His name is Chase Bazart. We have him come down to Miami once, sometimes twice a year to teach our Ashtanga practitioners intensive students. Uh, he teaches the part on the Bhagavad Gita and he also teaches them some Sanskrit and some Vedic chanting. Uh, and we keep asking him to come back for this program just because we love his teaching style so much and he holds so much knowledge. Uh, his teaching style is rooted in philosophy, but at the same time, it's really down to earth and applicable and approachable. It just makes it really easy to apply the lessons found in these ancient teachings into our everyday life. Uh, so when he was here this past summer, we asked him if he'd like to give a special talk on Pratyahara. And of course, he was super willing and graceful about it. And we thank him so much for being available for that. So thank you um, if you're listening. Uh, so Chase, a little background on Chase. Chase studied under Desikachar for many years. Desikachar was the son and student of Krishnamacharya, who also happens to be the teacher of Sri Kapitabi Joyce. And Sri Kapitabi Joyce, if you don't know, is the teacher of the Ashtanga Yoga lineage, which is what we practice at Miami Life Center. Um, Chase has completed extensive studies in India and China and the University of California, Santa Barbara, where he received a master's degree in religious studies with an emphasis on Indian philosophy. And today he leads the Yogawa Institute out of San Francisco. The Yogawa Institute is an organization dedicated to the practice of yoga as taught by Sri Krishnamacharya and Mr. Desikachar in all its forms. They especially emphasize the importance of maintaining a daily personal practice that is guided by an experienced mentor. The Yoga Wa Institute holds that yoga is first and foremost experiential. It's through experience. And consequently, they strive to make all of their individual online sessions, educational programs, trainings, and activities practically useful. If you want to learn more about Yoga Wa Institute and what they offer, you can check them out at yogawell.com. It's Y-O-G-A-W-E-L-L dot com. So I'll turn it over to Chase now, or at least to his recording from um, about a month ago. Uh, and he'll be guiding us through the philosophy and practice of Pratyahara, the fifth limb along the eight limb path of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Hope you enjoy. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of chanting just to come here and get us all focused. And I'm going to start that. If you know the chanting, you please join with me. <clears throat> Om Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviyankara Vavahai Tejasmina Vadhi Tamastu Ma vidveshavahai Om Shanti 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 Yogena Chittasya Padena Vacham Malam Shari Rasyacha Vaidya Kena 
ோக்கரோத்தம் பிரவரம் முனீனாம் பொத்தஞ்சலீம் பிராஞ்சலிரானோஸ்மி ஆபாஹுபுருஷாக்காரம் சங்கச்சக்கிராசித்தாரிணம் சஹசிரசம் ஸ்வேத்தம் பிரணமாமி பஞ்சலீம் Okay, super. So what are we talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, Pratyahara, oh yes. Wait, wait, what is that? No. <laughs> All right, super. Thank you so much for staying. So nice to see a bunch of you who were in the last thing. Thank you. There's a chair there. Please, someone, feel free to use it. Um, all right, so the topic today is Pratyahara. What to say? So Pratyahara is the fifth limb of <coughs> Patanjali's infamous Ashtanga Yoga, which means the eight limbs of yoga. And um, I think that it's important, in order to understand Pratyahara, we have to understand the context of this teaching. So, Ashtanga Yoga is presented by Patanjali in the 28th through the 55th sutra of the second chapter. In other words, it's the second half of the second chapter of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. And it's this context is really important in understanding it. So let's talk a little bit of first about the uh, Yoga Sutras and what is chapter one and what is chapter two, etc. So long, long ago. <laughs> okay, I think I'm funny even if you don't, so I'm sorry. <laughs> if you don't, it's going to be a long hour for you. So anyway, long, long ago. <laughs> uh, so Patanjali's Yoga Sutra uh, is in four chapters. And one of the things that makes it really difficult to translate is that it's not so much a detailed text. It's much more of a curriculum. It's basically saying, here are all the ideas of yoga, and here's how they're organized, and here's how they interact. And then in order to um, like understand what the meaning is, you have to understand the context of the text as a whole and work with somebody who can, who can explain piece by piece what each thing is. So it's like each uh, concept each word is like a concept word. It has lots of meaning, and you can unpack it. Mr. Deshigachar used to say, it's like a lemon, you know? If you take a slice of lemon, every time you squeeze the slice, a little more juice will come out, right? So in this way, the words of the Yoga Sutra are like a, they're concept words, and they are... Uh, indicating a lot of ideas and you have to understand how that all fits together and then you can unpack it so chapter one is an overview 
Chapter one is an overview of the yoga process. Chapter one starts out by defining yoga is sustained attention. Yoga is the ability to direct the mind in a chosen direction. And the result of sustained attention, the result of being able to direct the mind is clear understanding and an authenticity, like we get connected to ourselves. So really yoga is about concentration and clarity. The important thing to understand is that clarity is a result. You don't do clarity, you do practice, okay? You do the, the directing of the mind and what comes out of that is clarity, okay? So <clears throat> Patanjali then says, since yoga is about the mind, he describes this is what the mind is. And then he says, here's how you attain a state of attention. Here's how you attain a state of concentration. And this involves two things. You have to make efforts, abhyasa, and you have to relinquish what's getting in the way of your efforts, vairagyam. So this means abhyasa is defined by Patanjali as the effort to be attentive. In other words, whatever efforts you make to be present are, this is yoga. So yoga doesn't happen only in the Miami Vice Center. It, <laughs> it doesn't only happen on a colored, a colored rectangle. It happens moment by moment. Am I being attentive? Am I being present? And if you see something is getting in the way of your being present, if you see that something is like you're distracted or whatever, you know, just, just a minute. I'm sorry. Oh, no. anyway, where's my phone? But if you see that you're distracted, vairagyam is relinquishing or letting go or putting down the thing that is just causing the distraction, even though you may really like it and be attached to it, right? If you proceed in this way, slowly you build a pattern of attention. So like w practicing yoga is something you do at work. It's something you do on the way to work. It's something you do at home with your partner. It's something you do when you're watching, when you're um, washing dishes, etc. It's a pattern that you develop moment by moment in whatever you're doing. And the practice of it involves making effort to be attentive, right? This is the first section of, uh, of the first chapter. Then the second section of the first chapter, Patanjali admits, this is beautiful theory. This is so lovely, except it's much more difficult than that. <laughs> Life is full of difficult things. Life is full of problems. And the, you know, the thing is, is when a problem arises, it can easily take you out of being present. It can easily cause you to go out of, out of whack. So yoga is about getting in whack. <laughs> yoga is about being present even though there's all kinds of difficulties arising. All right? So if you can do that, then you will slowly transform. This is the end part of chapter one because... If you're able to be attentive, then that means the mind is more or less stable. When their mind is stable, 
you have more opportunity of perceiving what is actually happening in front of you rather than perceiving what your projections of it are, right? So like, think about like, you know, um, the boss says, I'd like you to come uh, see me uh, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Oh, okay, great. So now I walk in at 8 a.m. in the morning and I've had time to have two cups of coffee and um, <clears throat> but I woke up a little late and so now I'm, you know, and so I'm walking in and you know like I sit down and it's like so am I fired? <laughs> right? Because what I'm doing is I'm projecting onto the meeting and then I'm perceiving not what's actually happening but I'm perceiving the projection that I put onto the meeting. So the value of a stable attention is that I can see through that a little bit. So even if I have missed my practice, even if I have had two cups of coffee, I show up, I can see, oh, wow, I'm super agitated. I can see, I feel like I'm going to get, get fired. But there's ability to differentiate that as something different than I'm in a meeting with my boss. So then I may have the opportunity to say, how you doing? Instead of, am I getting fired? <laughs> Right? So my behavior is different because my experience is different. Right? So this process of yoga is a process where you develop stable attention and then you try to be attentive moment by moment in whatever you're doing. And that gives you the opportunity to perceive what is actually happening rather than what you are perceiving projecting onto the situation. As that happens, you slowly will become a different person because instead of perceiving the projections and then having that same experience over and over again, right? So like, I, I'm nervous. So every time I show up into a, a situation, I project, I'm, uh, this, they're not going to like me, this isn't going to work, etc. Then I have the experience of they don't like me, this didn't work. And then that continually, I continually become the same old person that I was before. But if I'm able to be attentive, I may see what my projection is and I may be able to stay with it a little longer. I have a little bit different, a little bit different experience. Well, they didn't exactly like me, but they didn't exactly dislike me either, right? And so slowly I develop a different pattern of, oh, actually, you know, I think maybe they like me. And I become a different person. This is the meaning of chapter one. You follow? This is the meaning of chapter one. So it starts out with yoga is about de developing the capacity to be present with what is happening. Chapter two is how to do that. Because <laughs> you can't just wake up in the morning and be like, today I'm going to be present. <laughs> Until right now when I'm no longer present. <laughs> You can't by will decide, I'm going to be present. So, chapter two is called Sadhana Pada. Chapter two, Sadhana has the meaning of leading to a goal, of, of, of acquiring, of accumulating. Okay, so Sadhana gets translated as practice. Totally fine, no problem. But its real point is that practice has a purpose. You know, if you take up guitar... You don't just learn a bunch of notes so that, you know, you just can play some notes. You know, even if you're just learning guitar, you learn like the three notes that go together with like Mary had a little lamb. So you can impress your friends. 
Mary had a little lamb. That's not how you impress your friends? Okay, all right. Maybe I need to change my... my uh, <laughs> maybe I need to change how I'm behaving. Okay. Um, <laughs> my friends loved it, really. No. So you learn some coordinated notes because those notes are part of something that you're trying to do. Same thing with yoga practice. It is not just flailing around on a mat. It is not just like touching your nose and seeing what happens, right? Or there should be some purpose of what you're trying to have happen. So this is the meaning of the second chapter. Here is how you attain a state of yoga. Here's how you change into a state of yoga. What did we see a state of yoga was? Sustained attention, the capacity to be present, okay? So, um, the ability to be present, to have sustained attention, is a symptom of a balanced state, right? So, the point here is that how you get your, how you change your mind into, from something that's agitated and all over the place to something that is directable, involves working with your overall state. It involves trying to come into balance. As you come back into balance, the mind becomes directable of its own accord. Okay? Then you don't need to fight with it all the time. So, what Patanjali presents in the second chapter is a series of practices that help you return back to balance. Okay? So this can also be broken down into three sections. The first section is, uh, the meaning of the first section is, we cause most of our own imbalances. (laughs) In other words, why am I so out of balance? Because of me. (laughs) So Patanjali, the first section I would label Kriya Yoga. Yoga in action or yoga through action. And the meaning of this of this um, section is that it's all yoga all the time. If you're awake, you're either practicing or you're not, right? And whatever you're doing is building a pattern. So if you're not practicing, you're building a pattern of not yoga. What did we define yoga as? Sustained attention, right? So you're either practicing sustained attention or not. Okay, so this practice of Kriya Yoga, yoga in action, has three components. They are tapas, swadhyaya, ishvara, pranidhana. So, swadhyaya means I'm observing myself and I'm asking myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What is the, what is, what is the reason for this? And if the answer is, well, I have misperceived or... I'm acting out of the wrong identity or fear or, you know, uh, essentially desire or aversion, etc. In other words, if the reason why I'm doing something is one of the kleshas, then I need to make an effort to change the behavior that I have. So let's suppose that um, I'm very nervous and I can see that I'm nervous out of fear, right? And that means I'm ha, ha, ha. Why do you want to see me, boss? Ha ha, so good to see you. Ha ha, ha ha. (laughs) 
this has no bearing to anything that happens in my real life. Okay, just for the, just playing for the, you know. So um, if I'm observing my behavior and I see, oh, I'm acting out of fear, then I need to make the effort to do a different action. I need to make the effort to take a different action. So in the case that I'm just giving, I can see I'm really fearful and I'm sort of acting like, ha, 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 okay? So what I'll try to do is not say anything. This is a different, this is a different activity and it's a different pattern for me because when I get nervous, I talk. <laughs> and I start explaining. And this is what happened. On my old way over here, I ran over a person, but I didn't stop because I wanted to be on time for the meeting. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> okay, so better not to say anything. <laughs> right? But not saying anything is really difficult because my pattern is to talk when I'm nervous. So to actually be quiet is a huge effort. This is tapas. And I have to be willing to trust that that will work out okay. Right? That will work out okay. Ishwara Pranidana. So basically what is being said here with Kriya Yoga is that if you ask, if you are watching the way that you behave in any situation and you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? What you will find is that we cause ourselves most of our own suffering. If we're really honest with like, how do situations set up and play out? I play a huge role in how they set up and play out. And if I'm honest with myself, then I can start trying to introduce different behaviors in to those situations when I see myself, ha, 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 you know? Okay, that lasted about two seconds, but... (laughs) But you can see there's an effort that's going on here, okay? This effort will... This effort will show me that I am many different people. The overall result of this is that I will see I am a lot of different people. And actually, that I'm many different people continually over the course of the day, right? And if, I'm, if I keep watching and I keep going through this, what I end up seeing is that all of those different people that I am fall into two categories. In one category, there's one person, one like internal voice. And in the other category is all of the other voices, all of the other um, uh, activities and, you know, do this or do that or feelings, etc. This one category, moreover, the one that has the one in it, has a special quality that the is not there in the others. In other words, there is something in me that has like a quality of knowing or a quality of sort of conscience or maybe like a sixth sense or you could say intuition. That has a different quality than all of these other things which are ha, 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 right? And or whatever defense mechanisms I've developed or whatever personalities I've developed, all of those fit into this other category, okay? And what he says in the second section of chapter two, which I would call uh, Viveka Kyati, 
What he says is the goal of the practice of yoga is to be able to accurately and consistently differentiate those voices. So you want to be able to accurately and consistently differentiate what is your knowing. Right? If you can act, act if you can see like oh I'm coming from my intuition versus oh no, you know, it's my intuition to go home with him. Really, it's a good idea. It's my intuition. Or it's my intuition to eat this chocolate bar. Or, you know, so if we can start to differentiate the difference between what is really my knowing and what is it that I am telling me is my own knowing, then this is the goal of yoga. He says, and this is in the second chapter, um, 25. Viveka Kyati, the experience of discernment. The experience of discernment, okay? So, <clears throat> the next section, the last section of chapter 2 is Ashtanga Yoga. And you can see this is the context of Ashtanga Yoga. The whole chapter, the whole chapter 2 is about how do I establish a state of yoga? What is the state of yoga? Sustained attention, right? Where does this, where does sustained attention come from? Balanced. balanced, being balanced, right? How do I get balanced? Well, if I'm watching myself and I'm observing all the different ways that I do things that take me out of balance or that I do things that cause drama or that I do things that cause me to suffer later, you know, etc. In other words, I'm causing a lot of the way that I get out of balance. Beautiful. <laughs> if I can observe that and then start to take other actions than what I would normally take, right? This is going to help me to come into balance because I'm stopping the drama or I'm stopping the, um, the, the lifestyle or the dietary things that are taking me out of, uh, out of balance or I'm stopping... The, um, the, the, the relationship or whatever it is that I'm connected to that's causing me to come out of balance. So then, the third part of this is Ashtanga Yoga. Ashtanga Yoga means the eight limbs of yoga. And what Patanjali says in 2.28, he says, starting to introduce the topic, he says, by being strongly established in the uh, eight limbs of yoga, you reduce the impurities and that allows for the experience of continual discernment and then your knowing, the light of your knowing shines, okay? In other words, what is the process of yoga but the removal of impurities. You don't actually need to add or do, you just need to remove the impurities and the perfect whole and complete being that you already are will slowly emerge and that is, you'll be able to have direct um, or continuous and uh, accurate discernment of what is my knowing versus what is my behavioral activities, etc. So, 
Ashtanga Yoga, these eight practices, the purpose of them is to set up a context for us to do less impurities and thereby have more stability of mind and more capacity to differentiate what is my knowing from my my uh, my patterning or my uh, go-to uh, you know uh, self-defense kinds of things. Right. So the eight limbs are divided into two sections. One is five in number. The other is three in number. So the five are yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pra, pratyahara. And the last three are dharana, dhyana, samadhi. So the last three are in chapter three. And the first five are in chapter two. So the fact that the last three are in chapter three is very significant and interesting. What it means is that the last three are not something that you can do out of will. Okay? For instance, you can do asana out of will. You can have, be having a crappy day and you can have a yoga buddy and the yoga buddy gets you to the, to the shala and you start to do yoga and slowly over time you feel better and then you know your day improves etc and you are able to force yourself to do yoga, to do asana you know there's some will there same thing with pranayama your will you can sit down and whatever length of breath you start with you if you start to work with it you can slowly extend the length of the breath it's something you can do same thing with yama and niyama which are ethical um, about your relationships to other people and to yourself right however the last three dharana dhyana and samadhi these are not things that you can do by will you can't just decide i'm now going to be into samadhi i'll be right back (laughs) that was wonderful okay anyway what was the lecture (laughs) You can't just decide, I'm going to do dharana. You can decide, I'm going to attempt to do dharana. But if you don't already have the state of your system fairly well balanced, then the mind will not be directable and you will not be successful at it. You know, um, so this is actually the purpose of asana and pranayama is to change our state because as the state changes, the mind becomes directable, and then we can do dharana, dhyana, samadhi. Okay? So, the first five are all in the second chapter, which means they are something that you can practice and which you can do. Okay? Of these, you have yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara. So, yama is attitudes that we have towards others you know telling the truth is something you can do you might not like it it might be uncomfortable but it's something you can do not taking something you know these are things you can do right uh niyama cleanliness contentment you know it's very interesting contentment in yoga is a practice you have to actually work at having at being content right every day you should do something like a gratitude journal or like in this, if you volunteer in a soup kitchen or somewhere where people don't have as much as you, you know, you come out of there and what do you feel like? Whew, 
I don't have problems. <laughs> my problem. I love my problems. <laughs> my problems are such good problems, right? That you know. But if you don't go to those places, what do you think? My problems are the worst. Oh my God! How come I'm so terribly unlucky to have these problems, etc.? No, no, no. You just need to get a little reorganization. Go to the soup kitchen. Ha! That'll get you set up on what kind of problems you have, right? Asana. You can do asana. It's about movement of the body, etc. It's about breathing. Pranayama is about breathing. These are all things you can do. That brings us to the topic of tonight, which I still have three minutes to talk about. (laughs) It's been great. Thanks, people. (laughs) Which is pratyahara. Okay, pratyahara. So pratyahara means, the word pratyahara means prati-ahara. So ahara is diet. Diet. Prati means an opposite, an opposite diet. So the word pratyahara means to provide an opposite diet or to prevent the diet from happening, to prevent the eating from happening. Okay? And this is a little tricky because... um, the senses are very subtle. If you look at the five of these, yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, of these five, senses are most subtle. Then breath, then body, etc. So there, it sort of get, goes from the gross to the subtle. And the senses are something that we don't readily have control over. So, Mr. Deshikachar used to say, actually, Pratyahara could also belong in the third chapter. However, he can't put it in the third chapter because the first word of each chapter has a general meaning of the overall uh, meaning of the chapter. So, like in chapter two, the first word is tapas. It's the removal of impurities, right? It is doing something which removes impurities. That's how you come into a state of balance that results in the ability to direct the mind, right? A general idea of what is the process of yoga is a process of the removal of impurities. In chapter 3, the first word is desha. It means place. It means place. The chapter 3 is essentially a list of places where you can put your attention. In other words, places where you can meditate, what you can meditate on. It's a list of meditation objects and the results of that. So he can't really start with Pratyahara in the beginning of chapter 3. He has to start with meditation. So Pratyahara kind of fits at the end of the second chapter, indicating it's something you can do but it is also really a very difficult practice, if that makes sense. Okay, so what is pratyahara? You know, what is pratyahara? So, this comes at the very end of chapter two. The sutras are 54 and 55. And he says, swa vishaya. Um, Now I forgot it. Swa vishaya. 
What? Yes, asampramoshaha. Yeah. Asampramosh proshe. It's proshe. Chittasya swa anukari eva indriyanam pratyahara. Thank you, you did it. <laughs> so, he's defining pratyahara here. He's saying, swa vishaya asampramoshe chittasya. Okay? So, Svavishaya means the own object. Own object. Asamprayoge. The de-linking. When there is a de-linking with the own object of the mind. Swarupa anukara indriyanam Pratyahara. When the senses are connecting to an object, they essentially take, they essentially uh, create s- sensory information, which then is conveyed to the mind. And the mind, from that sensory information, creates an object. Right? So, when the mind creates an object, it will always create that object in relationship to its previous experiences and the owner of that mind. So, what happens is sensory information comes in and an object is created in the mind which is owned by the mind. In other words, it's as if, like right now, the sensory information that's coming in is very warm. (laughs) So what happens? I am hot. (laughs) Right? So this becomes every sensory piece of information that comes in creates an object and then that object is i mean and not then and that object which is created is created in an ownership fashion this makes sense so pratyahara is to examine this process and to uh, is to examine this process and to watch the creation of an object without the ownership. Does this make sense? Consequently, you are stopping the feeding. Right? So the, the diet comes in, but it is not a... It is being opposed so that you don't create your own object. So I'll let you all take about 20 minutes to do that. (laughs) How do you do that? Okay? How do you do that? Yeah, not simple. Not simple. Okay? How do you do that? So, um, how... And and again, Mr. Deshikachar is saying that happens as a result of our 
um, this happens as a as as the end of these other processes yama niyama asana pranayama so i have been able to attain some solid foundation of uh, balance and consequently the mind is fairly stable if the mind is not fairly stable this process will not work right all right so the process here is to listen to something or to feel something or to taste something and watch the formation of the object related to what you're feeling and to try to see the formation of the ownership and not let it happen. I wish you all the best of luck. <laughs> okay, this is one definition. I'm going to give another definition in a minute. Okay. Let's have some questions though. Yes. I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around when you say ownership, are you saying like the ego identifying with that or are, do you mean like attachment or I'm, I guess I'm not really sure what you mean by ownership. Really good question. So, where are you? Listening at my Center. Yes. Is it hard? The surface? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Uncomfortably hard? Yes. Okay. That's your ownership. <laughs> okay, so instead of just feeling it... It's hard. So it's a judgment thing then? There, so, you know, when the mind... It's a very good. <laughs> see, there you go. He's practicing pratyahara. <laughs> so, when the mind is when the mind forms and forms a um, object, it will f- utilize its record of previous experiences. It will record. It will utilize its record of previous experiences. In other words, it will utilize smrti. So, in comes the in comes the sensory information, and then at the same, almost simultaneously, the mind is calling up previous experiences which are related to that, and is informing the. Uh, creation of that object. It's like a samskara. Yes. Okay. They're related. Yes. So, you know, if you every day sit there, then right now, as they're sitting there, it will have a di- the creation of a different form of object than if, as is the case right now, you're, this is the first time you've been sitting there in a while. Right? Does that make sense? So, because the memory will be different so your ownership, your um, activity is present in the object or is present in the uh, analysis of the object. So in that situation, how would you um, apply uh, Pratyahara to that? So would you, be just, would you just say, the surface is hard on which I am sitting, but I am not uncomfortable or something like that? Like, tough! You, you take out your own like, discomfort? 
Um, so it's not about, I, I won't say, this is a really good question. So how do you practice it? So um, it's not that you're denying your experience. It's that you're seeing the part of the object which is your own experience. So it's a hard object that may be really uncomfortable, okay? But uh, I'm really uncomfortable piece. It's not that you deny that. It's that you see that as your mind's ownership of the sensory information. You're kind of an observer. That. Yeah. yeah. So this is the, the whole thing about consciousness, witnessing awareness. Then. Yeah. So you're witnessing what... The and not participating self. in the ownership of the thing that's happening. Correct. Which is not something very simple. So you sort of, you, you observe it, but you just let it go. Or you sort of like try to... Well, you know, if you can, so if you're, so um, you're trying to observe the formation of it and how it happens. Because the formation of it will be according to patterns developed by previous experience. Are you trying to sort of detach yourself to kind of... The short answer is yes, but what does detach look like I'm nervous about? Right, so the question was, are you trying to detach yourself? And I, and I want to say yes, but I, I don't want to go to the place where I'm fine, it's soft, no problem, I can be here. Okay? Because that's denial, which is a long river. No, okay? So. I'm sitting on this hard, it's a hard surface or it's a soft surface, but not being so vested in it. Right. I'm sitting on a hard surface. I don't like it. Okay, fine. But there's a difference between it being a hard surface and something that is uncomfortable for me. Both are there, but... They're not one and the same thing. Yeah, go ahead. So is it like your example that you gave earlier about your boss calls you, you have to go in for a meeting, and then you start to get all nervous. Like, noticing that you're nervous is when you can start Papiata? Oh, this is a good question. So um, for me, that is... Um, so the Pratyahara piece is more of a... Um, stable kind of practice so um, I won't like I won't say that a smell comes in and I'm at say I go out outside and I smell something and it reminds me of this really unpleasant experience I had at Miami in Miami and I'm just all of a sudden I'm like worried about like where am I right okay so Pratyahara is certainly involved here, but I don't, for me, I'm a little uncomfortable in saying that that would be where you'd practice it. Can I? Yeah. So it is like a, a kind of empathy to yourself. Like, for example, uh, I don't know, sometimes I talk to my daughter, and mm -hmm. she starts like complaining about something, and I say the, the, my action is like saying it's okay, you know, this is not gonna, this is not gonna last forever. Yep. Like trying to this too shall to, pass. To um, fix the situation. Mm -hmm. 
And I have noticed that when I act in, a, in empathy, it works better. So it's like, I listen, it's like, okay, yeah, you're not happy about it. It's like, you have no friends. Whatever yeah, whatever yeah. This it's, it's, it's the room is very cold. Yeah. The room is very cold, and you're super unhappy. I get that. Yeah. So you're, but you're separating the two. Mm -hmm. One, the room is very cold. The other is you're unhappy. Those two are different. So pratyahara is having a separation of the process of the uh, sensory information as being uh, and the mind's analysis of that we'll try to fix or just it. just being with the sensory awareness yeah, yeah i'm just gonna ask so is there it seems like it would be um perhaps um, facile to use consciousness as an example of where we can live from rather mm -hmm. than from the place of the experiencer rather we can be the witness of the experiencer mm -hmm. but you're not and I'm wondering if there's a reason that you're not doing that if, if these are really good questions these are really so good so I didn't understand no I'm totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, you know uh, the second section that I talked about where there's this differentiating between what is this voice in my head that is like my knowing or my intuition or something and versus all of these other uh, voices, right? Well, there's also an one which is identifying and observing what those are. So the capacity to be present and watch and differentiate all of that is sort of like uh, the background for the process. Even with yama or niyama or asana or pranayama, the development of being able to witness, but it's not the... Um, after witnessing, there's still action and still something that has to happen. And so there's a witnessing of this process, mental processing. Is that... So, after, I want to make sure yep. I understood this, because I, actually I don't think I did. After witnessing, so consciousness, mm -hmm. as opposed to experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. So, as the witness, I can say, I am not that. I'm just experiencing suffering. Yep. Suffering my experiencing. Yes. And so, what are you saying happens after that? So as you said, after that is action. <coughs> So I'm not sure. So I'm not sure that you can set when you say the experiencer, and you're the witnesser, right? So you're you're what I would say you're differentiating is the the tools of experience, mm -hmm. like the mind or the senses or the you know emotions or etc., mm -hmm. and something that is witnessing, witnessing all of right. that. And the um, and so why am I not using this language? Is your question yeah i'm curious because yeah. it strikes me as something that would apply and yeah quite easy yeah so the this idea of observing and watching is uh coming in at the beginning from uh, there's no reason not to use it is the short answer it's fine there's no reason to use it it sort of should be there throughout the beginning because this is there with swadhyaya you know 
when I'm watching my own behavior and asking why am I doing this? Observer. What is he observing? Or what is she what is it observing? Uh, feelings, behaviors, activities, etc. So all of that phenomena is arising. phenomena arising. All of that is being observed, etc. And but the observation in and of itself is not sufficient. There still has to be an attempt to change behavior. You're talking about, oh, okay, so now, now you're getting into what... Pro- what happens yeah. after. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now I understand that. Thank okay. you. That was helpful. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, just sort of my own understanding of um, sort of like that object creation. I, I use the word conceptualization. Yep. So when you take it from the outside and you form a concept around it, um, and for me that what I've found myself that usually happens when it's, there's a value-based judgment. So yeah. I'm, I'm saying this is good, this is bad, and that's yep. the, the beginnings of the cravings and the aversions. And um, what I've noticed is that when I have a balanced perspective of something, there is no object creation. And so there's the prevention, the diet mm-hmm. aspect of not allowing that to happen, but then there's the active part of how do you get already preformed concepts and getting rid of them, yes. so to speak. Um, for me... I don't know if this is where you're going now, but um, just for me, the, 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 the tools there are um, gratitude and forgiveness. Is that things that are have previously harmed me, this hard seat, yep. I need to be able to see, I need to forgive it. I yep. need to go deeper. I need to see it deeper to see its true value. Yep. It's easier to clean. Somebody made a decision to go with this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> who? Who? <laughs> Yeah. Tend to take them for granted. Yeah. I don't truly see the real value in yeah. them. Um, so yeah, that's just my understanding. So this is very nicely put. Um, for me, this is the role of dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. Okay? Because how do you go about changing a record of experience so that it won't be dominating the um, object creation? Or it won't be dominating the dialogue, if you will, of whatever is coming in. So the short answer is you have to have new experiences. And if you have a a set of new experiences that, uh, the way that Patanjali says it in the first chapter, he says, smirti pari shudhau, it's a kind of cleaning again of the record of experience. But... He's also said in the first chapter that the record of your experiences is indestructible. So whatever experience you have is in there. Now this is different than memory because we think of memory as being something you can access and call up and did a, but this is more than that. It's like that the room was warm is not even something that I actually uh, was paying attention to, so I didn't remember it, but my system knows that it was warm, and that, rec- that record is in there. So this, this wide range of, that, that's smirti, that's the record of our experience, is participating in object creation. So if I want to have a different experience now, I have to start having some, or if I want to change that pattern, I have to start having some new experiences which can fill out or, or change the overall pattern that is active. So that's what meditation is, right? Meditation is an intentionally engineered experience which I can 
decide what the experience is. I can visualize hot, I can visualize cold, or whatever it is. And when I have that experience, then it's in the record of my, uh, it becomes a part of my smirti, a part of my record of experience. And so that will then, um, over time, uh, a different pattern becomes dominant. Then there's a different uh, discourse about what the mind wants to do with that particular sensory input. Yeah, so you're, I, you know, and I, I, I think like forgiveness and, and those things are hard because they are like will. You know, like I'm trying to do something. For me, it's true forgiveness and mm-hmm. true gratitude um, come from understanding. Okay. So Right, so there's an experience. Well, you, you're seeing deeper into mm-hmm. the experience, yeah. into the situation. Um, yeah. For me, the concept, as soon as you conceptualize something, as soon as that object is created within the mind, yeah. you stop seeing it. You will only ever see the, the object that you yeah. create in your mind. And to go through that, to truly see yeah. what it really is, you then, then, yeah. then forgiveness is almost... Right. So that is that, I have total agreement. That's a process of having a different experience. It's not really on an intellectual level. It's like on an experiential level. And something is something on that pattern sort of level is changed. Yeah, very interesting. There was another. Anya, did you have a question? No. There's another yeah. question over here. Yeah, please. Thank you. I was just, uh, everything that you were saying, I, I realized I, I kind of practiced that today. So I spent, like, I went through, I'm looking for a job, so I went to three interviews, video, fill out a form, do all these things, and then I spoke with a recruiter who says, okay, I got an interview for you, and I used the bus this morning, and it took me four hours to get there, and I got there, and I did the interview, and they, it was two people, I was in the middle, there's, the, here they are, me against them, they're against me, Yep. they asked me five questions. It was less than three minutes of an interview, and when it was over, the woman said, okay, we'll let you know in a, in a week or so, our HR will contact you. And in that moment, I thought, usually I would be disappointed, scared, confused, angry, all that. But then I realized, they just said, we'll let you know. What, what is that? They, they'll let me know. Yeah. That's it. Very nice. Super nice. Practice of yoga. Keep going. <laughs> Very good. Super. So I want to say one more. There's one more possible definition of pratyahara that we'll just talk about briefly. I'm over my time. Can I keep going? All right. I'll talk fast, okay? We'll go fast. Yeah. It's very yogic. Yeah. <laughs> so there's another possible um, definition of pratyahara, which is that the mind decides what food the senses will eat. In other words, you know, each sense has its own food. Uh, the ear, the food is sound. The tongue, the food is taste. The, 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 the skin, etc., the food is sensation. So if we are, um, if we have a refined system, then you the mind can decide what sense will be feeding. In other words, I am reading a book, whatever is, and I get 
interested in the book, whatever is necessary to understand the book will be active. My wife comes in the door, but I don't hear her because the mind is determining that the senses will eat whatever is connected to the book. And so then she suddenly she says, Hey! Okay? Or, you know, um, this is another possible definition of pratyahara, which is that the senses, what is being eaten by the senses is determined by the mind. So it's possible, for instance, that you are all in a choir and you're all singing and then Tanya decides she's just going to listen to Anya's voice only. So only Anya's voice is heard. This is a kind of pratyahara. Another definite, another possible definition. At any rate, the capacity to do this requires a very stable mind and is really very close to being in chapter 3. It just doesn't quite make sense to put it in chapter 3 as part of the overall flow of Yoga Sutra there. Yes? Yes. Um, I'm still having some trouble understanding how sustained attention, which is what you define yoga to be, how that like creates a balanced state. That's what I, I no, it's the other way around. A balanced state? The mind, the, act, the activity of the mind is symptomatic of the state that you're in. You know? The same thing is there about the activity of your emotions. When we go out of balance, then you know, then there's a lot of anxiety all the time, or there's a lot of frustration, or a lot of sort of sadness and grief all the time. This is not saying that if you feel anxious or frustrated or you know grieving that that you're out of balance, etc. Those are all natural things. You know, if there's a tiger, you should feel a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if you're looking at the politics, you should feel some anxiety, okay? Um, but if you are all the time anxious, this is saying something about the state of the system, right? So you can't just decide, I'm not going to be nervous anymore. I'm not going to be anxious anymore. You have to change your state. And as the state comes back towards balance, a symptom of a balanced state is prashanta. It's peace. So if you look at the definition, there's many definitions of yoga, okay? So one definition of yoga is uh, it's, a, uh, it's something that separates you from your connection with suffering. This is Bhagavad Gita, sixth chapter. Then another one is uh, yoga is skill and action, you know? Yoga is equanimity. These are both Bhagavad Gita things. Yoga is the directing of the mind in an intended direction. Yoga is a tool it helps you to do something which you couldn't otherwise do. Yoga is meditation. Yoga is, uh, these are all, uh, yoga is um, intentional linking. Yoga is uh, adaptive intelligence. Okay, so if you look at the broad spread out of what all of these definitions are saying, it's like you have a, uh, you have an elephant and 
each definition is describing one part of the whole overall animal. And if you take them all together, you have a sense of what is the animal, right? Otherwise, a tusk by itself doesn't quite describe an elephant or the tail doesn't or the, you know, the, you know, the, um, the person is holding onto the leg. Well, an elephant is like a tree trunk, you know, no. So if you look at all of these processes together, essentially yoga is a system or a set of techniques of intentional linking. You cause your breath to be a little longer. You cause your, your body to be in some unusual positions. You changing the way your body is functioning. You choose to link with Christ, not with your stressful life. Or, you know, as you do these things, those are all experiences. Every experience influences the way your system functions. So, Slowly, as you have intentional linking and you come back towards equanimity, you know, samatvam yoga uchite, right? Yoga is equanimity. As you come back, then the system starts to function in ways that are uh, symptomatic of that. The mind becomes directable. Yoga is meditation. Yoga is sustained attention. Yoga is directing the mind in a... In a, in a, in a um, in an intended direction. Uh, yoga is peace, right? Peace is a symptom of balance. Um, as, as you come back towards balance, your capacity to be attentive means that the skill of your action increases. So yoga is skill in action. But where is that coming from? It's coming from the fact that I have attention, which is coming from the fact that I have equanimity, which is coming from the fact that I linked with the things that helped me to come back to balance, right? So um, is that helpful as a, as a way of showing? So if you just look at one definition of yoga, it's very hard to see like what the hell are we doing? But if you see them all in kind of a concert, it really fits nicely as a, as a picture of the overall process of, you know, and they say, I'll come, they say, yo, there's three stages of yoga. There's chikitsa, rakshana, and shikshana. There's the recovery piece, therapy. There's maintenance, rakshana. And then there's extraordinary capacities that can be developed. That's shikshana. So, but there's a process by which that happens. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, what do you understand about, uh, what is the mind? I think mind is not the brain. Yes, mind is, is not brain. Is it perception or is it a combination of cognition, senses, and emotion? What is it? Yeah. Well, how do you understand The question is, how do you understand the mind? Very well. Thank you. No. <laughs> uh, so Patanjali is defining mind in a functional manner. Mind is defined by the activities that you can see it doing. You, you, if you watch what your mind is doing, you can observe that there is some capacity to perceive and understand, apprehend in an accurate manner. There's also the capacity to perceive, to understand, to, um, to, uh, uh, to apprehend in an inaccurate man ma manner. So these are the first two, pramana viparyaya. Mind also has the capacity to imagine, 
which is also linked to language. In other words, right now, I'm telling you about a big, red, inflated ball. It's kind of squishy and it bounces, right? So we've used language. Some creation is coming in, right? And mind has also the capacity to recall its experiences. So these four things are the main active parts of mind. There's perception, understanding, actively, I mean, accurately, inaccurately. There's Cre- uh, creation language and then there's recall memory etc and the fifth one is mind also has the capacity to go off in other words it it can go dormant or sleep dreamless sleep anyway we're headed off in the in a but it's very it's it's an interesting question there's a, but there's a lot there of mind, yeah, yeah from uh, first chapter five and six, yeah, the viparye vrittaya panchitayaha. There's five activities of mind: pramana, viparya, vikalpa, nidra, smriti. Okay. Any other questions about pratyahara? Yeah. So if you, like, in, with regards to practicing pratyahara, would that involve like certain meditation practices that use body scanning and things like that, where you watch the sensations? Is that I think that's a reasonable practice, yes. And is there any other way? Like so get a get a practice. get a flower, be seated, get a flower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, get some dog um <clears throat> You know, any kind of sensory activity you can do, but I'm, I'm, you know, this idea of doing it like as life is happening, I, yes, that would happen, but I'm hesitant to call that pratyahara. I think I would simply call that more like swadhyaya, self-awareness. Okay, you guys are lovely. We'll do a little bit of chanting to close. <clears throat> if you know the chanting, you please chant with me. Om. Asatoma Sadgamaya Om Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Om Mrityorma Amritangamaya Om Shanti 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 Super. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Chat and Chai Yoga Talks from Miami Life Center. Thanks for tuning in. In our other episodes, you'll find talks on each of the limbs of Ashtanga Yoga according to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And come visit us. We're in the heart of South Beach in Miami. Miami Life Center is dedicated to the study of yoga and the lineage of our teachers, Sri K. Patabi Joyce and his grandson, Arshrat Joyce. We have Mysore classes, guided classes, pranayama, restorative classes, and we even have workshops with world-renowned teachers and community events going on all the time. 
Sangha, translated as community, is really important to us at Amalsi. We recognize it as a necessary pillar for walking down the spiritual path, and this podcast is a way for us to extend our Sangha to all of you listening, to create a stronger and more connected community of yoga practitioners. If you're interested in learning more about us and what we do, or if you just want to stay in touch, visit our website www.miamilifecenter.com or follow us on Instagram at Miami Life Center. Thanks for listening to Chat and Chai, Yoga Talks from Miami Life Center. Namaste.